The Thriving Over Surviving podcast is for informational and inspirational purposes and not meant to be medical advice. Please consult your physician for any medical issues you may be facing. The opinions expressed by guests and advertisers are their own and not necessarily the opinions of Thriving Over Surviving podcast. I say all the time, my MS diagnosis saved my life. You know, it's made me the healthiest version of myself. I don't know if I did not get this diagnosis, how I would be living today. Maybe I would be living healthy, maybe I wouldn't. So I do believe that, you know, you kind of put on these paths for a reason. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast, where we discuss the ups and downs of our autoimmune diagnoses, but ultimately how we thrive in spite of it. I'm your host, Edie Sahesian. I was diagnosed in 2015 with multiple sclerosis. I've learned a lot about MS in myself over the past few years, but the most important thing I realize is that I am going to live my best life. And that is what thriving means to me. But what thriving means to each person is different. And that's what we explore on this show. My core values are growth and humor. So my goal is to learn a bit and enjoy ourselves while we're building community. MS and other autoimmune diseases tend to be a bit of a bummer if we let them. So why not battle back by finding our joy? Where were you on September 11th, 2001? I was in a classroom with 31 fourth graders. But my guest today is Carrie Kiefer Viverito. Did I say that right, Carrie? Yes, you did. She's here today to share her journey with MS, but also to share how the loss of her brother, tragically on 9-11, how that loss of Michael impacted her life and the way she battles her autoimmune disease. So let's chat it up with Carrie today. Hi, hon. How are you? Hi, Edie. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm really appreciative of you joining and coming to share your story and talk about really the past 20 years as we um, embark on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and your brother's passing. How many events have happened and brought you here today, and I feel like it's only fitting to begin your story 20 years ago. But first, tell us about your brother, Michael. Yeah, so my brother, Michael, his name is FDNY Firefighter Michael Kiefer. And he was with Ladder Company 132 in Brooklyn, New York. My brother, his whole life, wanted to be an FDNY firefighter. And he, he worked his whole life. That was his goal, to become a fireman. And he, on 9-11, only had nine months on the job. So for something he wanted so badly and worked so hard for, he only had it for nine short months. But he made a very very positive impact on all the other firemen within the fire department, within his firehouse. He was given the name Kiefer the Keeper because when you are first assigned to a company, you're on probation for one year, but they knew that they wanted to keep him past his probation. So they called him Kiefer the Keeper. So everything Michael did in his life centered around helping other people. And he just was an all-around awesome person, not because he's my brother, but he truly was. And even, you know, 20 years after, five years after, we've been told so many stories, stories I never heard from people, from strangers, from friends, 
And just the more I hear, the more I realize, like, he was put on this earth to do a job, but I'm just so honored and lucky to be his sister. That's so special, Carrie. It's great that you're carrying on his legacy, too, in so many amazing ways. Those personal events that brought you here today to talk to me about this, I so appreciate you. Building up a little bit about your MS diagnosis and how all of these events that we'll talk about led up to that. So I know that you, after um, his passing, your grandfather lived with you and you guys really um, formed a strong bond, but he started to get sick. Is that true in 2006, your grandfather? So obviously September 11th was 2001 you know, changed my life forever. At the time, my grandfather had lived home with us. So I had a very unique bond with him. And after 9-11, you know, I looked after him. His, he lost his grandson, and I would always check in on him. And we just really developed that bond even stronger. And then in 2006, he was diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer, which was very tough on our whole family to get that you know, after what we've been through already, you know, it was his wishes to, to be home. And so with my parents' help, we collectively took care of him at home. And it was hard. It was very hard emotionally, physically, um, and then still grieving over my brother and seeing my parents grieve over my brother and even my grandfather. I also have my sister, Lauren, who helped. And, you know, just, it just, all took a toll, you know, on me. And losing him really was like very, very hard. I also lost my other grandfather in October of 2001, who we had just recently reconnected with after many years of not seeing him. So it was September 11, 2001, October 2001, and then my grandfather passed in November of 2007 his loss was, was also very hard. And then in April of 2008, I had been driving to work and I had, I had noticed over the course of a few days that my vision was a little blurry, but almost to the point where like, I felt like I had a fuzzy, like a piece of something in my eye. So I went to Walgreens, I bought eye washes. I, you know, I did all the things that anyone would do. And it wasn't going away. But then as the days went on, it was getting painful. So I had been driving to work one morning and I went to go change lanes. I was on a highway and I went to go change lanes. And I, to this day, I know my brother was with me because I could have really had a a major car accident because when I went to look over, I didn't see a car And I switched lanes and there was a car there. But what was happening was my peripheral vision was totally blacked out and I didn't even realize it. I made it to work safely, definitely with angels watching over me. And then from there, like I said, it was getting a little painful. So I had called the eye doctor and I went there after work. Once he did a few tests, he said, you're not leaving my office until you have an appointment with a neurologist. My husband, who was my fiance at the time, was with me and we were like, what's going on? And he just handed us pamphlets on multiple sclerosis. And 
it was just very overwhelming because at the time I really, you know, I've heard of MS, but not to the point of like knowing exactly how it affects a person. So we got an appointment with a neurologist. We went home and I gave these pamphlets to my, showed the pamphlets to my parents and said what the doctor said. And they like lost it. They were, you know, hysterical crying and, you know, because years ago, like when they were younger, when you heard of anyone with MS, everyone winds up in a wheelchair. So they were thinking the worst. They had already lost a child. I do believe that what I went through, you know, leading up to my diagnosis definitely played a part just on my nervous system. And like I said, I, I'm a completely different person since September 11, 2001. And in good ways and bad ways. I went to the neurologist. They did a whole slew of tests, MRIs. I went to, I got an EMG, EMG, I think it was called, you know, a whole bunch of tests. And one of the, one of the tests that they wanted to do was a spinal tap. And it was the worst experience of my life. They never waited for like the numbing stuff to set in. And I felt the puncture and I just was in so much pain from that. And then when I went to go get the results at my neurologist, it turns out that the lab lost my spinal fluid. And I told him that I would, I said, if you can diagnose me based on all these other tests, fine, but I am not going through that experience again. So PS, they were able to diagnose me based on everything else. The MRI showed, you know, that I had these lesions and and the rest is history. <laughs> and you were in the process of getting ready to be married yes. too, which, you know, that can be a stressor also going, getting married, preparing for the wedding yes, and all of that. And so from what I understand, you married the most amazing man. Yes. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's definitely, um, he's been supporting me through this journey from day one. I mean, like I said, I was diagnosed before we got married, so he had his time to run and he didn't. <laughs> my parents and my now husband was at the appointment with me when I was diagnosed. And one of the first things after they, you know, said what my diagnosis was, was, you know, that I had to avoid heat. And here we were, we had, you know, plans to go to Punta Cana for our honeymoon. And I'm like, well, I'm going away to a very hot climate place from my honeymoon. Like, what do I do? And it was all good. I went, you know, he's like, you just keep, keep your body cool and wear hats and put towels on your neck. But it was, it was all good. I'm glad you had a lovely time in Punta Cana. That yeah. sounds wonderful. <laughs> and your husband, he's a firefighter. He's FDNY as well. He is. And I had told my mom, we were dating for some time and I had, cried to my mom one day. I said, mom, I can't, I can't go through this again. I can't marry a fireman. And I remember her telling me, Carrie, you can marry a lawyer and he could, anything could happen. Like you, you can't base it off of that. And, and here I am, I'm married to a fireman and I'm living this lifestyle all over again. But there are so many similarities between my husband and my brother that I just feel like I was in, in my grief, I was almost pulled towards him, you know? I do believe that we were brought together for a reason. I love this story so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's kind of like Michael was watching over you too, right? Yeah. To put this man into your life. 
Yes. It's so wonderful. So after your diagnosis in 2008, even even before that, actually, I think this happened earlier, you guys started a foundation for Michael? Yes. So that was, we started the foundation probably around 2005, and it's called the FDMY Firefighter Michael Kiefer Fund. And it's really family run. Our motto that the fund follows is continue to help Mike help others. And like I said, my brother was all about helping other people. And it's only fitting that we have this fund in his honor to help other people. And we have helped countless people. You know, if we hear of different things going on, you know, whether it be local stories in the neighborhood, in the world, we've donated. We donate to the local school district for memorial awards. It's an award given in Michael's name for a, for a student who exemplifies all the characteristics that Michael had. So anything that we can do to keep Michael's name alive and his story alive is really important to us. I mean, for me personally, I, I just try and live my life the way that he would have. I think it's good for for me to honor him that way, but I also think it's good for me for my MS diagnosis because the way my brother lived was such a healthy lifestyle. And I really try and just to keep myself healthy at the gym every day. I, I eat healthy. So much of what I do personally honors him, but to have this fund to be able to keep his name alive is very important to my family and I. So in 2009, we purchased a van in his um, name, and it has his name on the van, and that's through the Fire Family Transport Unit. And what that unit does is it gives the firemen's families and the firemen themselves means of transportation to whether it be a doctor appointment, a chemo treatment, anything that they should need transportation for, and their families. And then if a fireman should pass, these vans will bring the families to whether it be the hospital or the funeral. It's one less thing that the family or the fireman has to think about at the time of whatever it is they're going through. And we've had so many people contact us that they've seen Michael's van on the road, or we've had even families connect to us. I have a a friend whose husband was diagnosed with brain cancer. And I remember the day she called me hysterical that, you know, 5 a.m., they said there would be a van at the house to pick them up to go to Sloan Kettering in the city. And whose face did she open the door to but my brother's? So those stories make it all worth it. And it's just, it's so amazing to know that Michael's name is still talked about so that was in 2009. So now fast forward all these years, the van has, you know, been beaten up a bit. It's got some miles on it. So now what we're doing is we're trying to collect money to now purchase a new van. We're going to keep that van on the road, but we'd like to get a new van, maybe a little bit more upgraded one, maybe one that's wheelchair accessible to continue this legacy of Michael and to continue having his name in their fleet of vans. I just admire your courage. I don't know if you can overcome it, but going through this and moving forward in such a positive way and giving back and honoring him 
And you mentioned how you try to live your life as Michael did and, and stay in that healthy mode. And how do you think that impacts your multiple sclerosis? Oh, 100%. I, I know that if I'm on point with my diet, my exercise, that I feel great. And, and I know that because there have been times where I've gone off, you know, eating a certain way or not being, you know, diligent with my exercise and I feel it. So I know my brother is very proud of the way that I live my life because it's, it's so much of how he would have continued to live his even into adulthood. But, you know, I try and follow an anti-inflammatory diet and, I work with a doctor who we're aligned with our beliefs and in, in how nutrition and exercise can positively impact your diagnosis. That's really what I make sure that I do on a daily basis. And you're on a DMT too. Is that accurate? Yes, yeah. I am. I was on Copaxone for 11 years. I think what happened was my body just like adjusted to it and became almost immune to it. So then I had developed some new lesions, and then I had to switch medications. But it just sounds like an all-around treatment. You're tackling it from a lot of different avenues. And Michael's sitting on your shoulder going, yeah, no chocolate today, sis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Make that good choice. It's salad, not potato salad, right? Right. Right. We had discussed in our pre-conversation, I thought I was overstepping for a second, but that you confirmed that Michael was very easy on the eyes. (laughs) (laughs) He's definitely a healthy specimen of firefighter for sure. Yes. I had many friends in high school that, you know, I questioned to this day, did they really want to be my friends or did they just want to be able to be invited over to my house so they could see my brother? And my sister, too. My sister, Lauren, always talks about that, too. She had a few girlfriends that would come over and, you know, they're like, is your brother home? (laughs) It's great to have all this support around you. And you mentioned your sister. How has your relationship grown in, in just supporting you and your MS and together in working with the foundation and things? I thank God for my sister, because to think about being on this journey alone Yes, I have my parents, but my parents, they're going through their own grief in the loss of a child. So at least with my sister, we're grieving the same way over our brother. My sister and I have a very special bond. We always did, but it became even stronger after we lost our brother. We actually have sons that are 11 weeks apart. So we also are together all the time because our boys are together all the time. She's been through a journey herself. My nephew was born with only half the heart. And so he has a condition called HLHS. And so we're just a strong family. We conquer all these battles that are thrown our way. So my brother is my hero because of just who he is. But I call my nephew my hero here on earth. I tell him all the time, we're defying the odds, you know, thriving over surviving. I say all the time, my MS diagnosis saved my life. You know, it's made me the healthiest version of myself. I don't know if I did not get this diagnosis, how I would be living today. Maybe I would be living healthy. Maybe I wouldn't. So I do believe that, you know, you're kind of 
put on these paths for a reason. Same thing with my nephew, with what he's going through. You know, I, I believe he's a miracle on earth. I believe that he was put on this earth to show people that you can live with this diagnosis. You can, you know, be born with half a heart and, you know, play ice hockey and do all the things. We're a strong family, you know, inside and out. This MS community, I attribute them to really motivating and inspiring me to live my best life. And it sounds like you not only have um, that, but this strong family, too, that really builds you up. And why wouldn't you want to live your best life in that situation? Tell us a little bit about your son. He's named after your brother, Michael, correct? Yes. Yes. So my son is Michael Anthony. So he's named after my my brother and my husband is Anthony. So it's a, a mix of both. He was born in 2011, and he has brought me so much joy. If you were to talk to him, he would talk about my brother like as if he met him. He emulates so much of my brother. He's named after him, but I do feel like he has a lot of my brother's qualities. Same thing with my nephew. I saw a picture on your social media of you guys I think it was last year, and your son was putting some flags in a box, and I read through that story. I'd love for you to share with our listeners what you do with those flags each year. I'm not sure what year I started doing that, but it all started with just 10 flags. And during 9-11, I wanted to put something on my lawn to honor my brother, but all of the heroes of that day. So it started with a few flags. And then what I would do is every year I would get 10 more. And I think at one point I had like a hundred, maybe a hundred and something flags. And I said, I would love to one day be able to put 343 flags on my lawn because that shows one flag for every fireman that passed on 9-11. So like I said, little by little, I was collecting them. Then I finally made a bulk purchase. And oddly enough, because I'm all about signs, when I counted how many flags I had and how many flags I needed to get to 343, it came out to 132 flags that I needed to order. And ironically enough, my brother was in Ladder Company 132. So I'm like, okay, like this is Michael telling me like that's a great idea and to do it. So I ordered the flags. I had my 343 flags. My son always helps me to put them out on the lawn. And two years ago, I decided that I'm going to write the names of every fireman. Like each flag has a fireman's name, their ranking and their company. So I did that. My mom helped with that. And then last year, I actually had to buy all brand new flags just because they were starting to get a little weathered looking. So I redid all of them, put the names on it. Every year we do that. It's just a great tribute. The main reason for me wanting to do that was to make a statement. And really it was to make a statement to the younger generations. Maybe they learn about it in school, but I wanted to be able to give my personal story. And I wanted a a kid to pass and say, why are all those flags on the lawn? And for that to be a teachable moment for the parent to explain what it is and what September 11th is, because I just don't ever want that to be forgotten. That's why I involve my son so much and explain everything to him and have him talk about my brother, because he's 
him, my nephew, they're the younger generation who can continue this on in you know later years. It would be so easy for you to give up and let all of these things just overwhelm your life and you really live as he would want you to and enjoy oh, life yes. and celebrate life and carry on with your son and carry you're such a giver of yourself and I'm so glad that you have that balance of taking care of yourself just as much as you take care of others. If you look at Carrie's social media, you can see all of that. And she really just depicts everything I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> and I... Well, I'll tell you, it, it, it takes a village. It really does. I wouldn't be able to do so much of what I do for myself if it weren't for my family helping me especially now that I'm a mom. It's not very easy to just get up and go to the gym and get out and train for a triathlon that I did in my brother's name. All those things that I, I wouldn't be able to do that with the help of my family, my husband, my husband's family. It really does take a village. Tell us more about the triathlon. Just a little bit of a backstory. September 9th, 2001, my brother... Like I said, my brother did so many things for himself, for his health. He was a lifeguard. He was a surfer. He worked out. He ran. He swam. He did so much to keep himself in shape because, like I said, his ultimate goal was the FDNY. So September 9th, 2001, he decides he's going to do a triathlon before going into work. This was like, like something that someone would go like, you know, take a, a, a stroll through the neighborhood. He's like, no, I'm going to go do a whole triathlon before I go to work. <laughs> so he does this triathlon September 9th, 2001, and then went to work. And so that was like the last thing that he really got to do that he loved. So for all the years after September 11th, I always said, I wish I could follow in his footsteps and do that same exact race that he did. That would be awesome. But, you know, I am a swimmer. I, I'm not a runner. I'm like, I could bike. I don't know that I could bike for 10 miles, but I could maybe make this work. So June of 2016, I get in the mail the flyer for this race because it's a local race and it's through our town. And it says that it's going to be on September 10th, 2016. So now June to September, I'm like, could I train for a race that quickly? I don't know. But I was by myself. I got this pamphlet in the mail and I just, I literally took my checkbook out, wrote the check, to sign up for the race. And I literally got in my car and mailed it off. And I said, I'm doing this race. I told my family, my mother was so afraid because I was going to be swimming in the ocean. And she's like, there are sharks in the ocean. And, you know, um, I said, mom, I'm going to be fine. So I signed up for this race. I, I joined a swim team because I said, well, I am a swimmer, but I need to be able to like race. You know, and, and again, my goal wasn't to compete. My goal was to complete. I wanted to just finish it. I signed up for this swim team. I met an amazing community of people who helped me in the pool, then helped transition me to ocean swimming. They met me 
you know, early in the morning, we'd swim in the ocean, mile, two miles, running and biking. I would just do locally whenever I had the chance. If my husband was home, if my family helped me to watch my son and I got it done. And September 10th, 2016, I completed the same race course that my brother completed. They actually featured me in a few of the local news stations because it was the 15th anniversary at the time. So they wanted to tie it in that it was 9-11 related, that my brother had completed the same race. They actually presented me with the same race number that my brother got, which ironically enough was 132. He was randomly given that number. My brother was 1000% with me that day because it was of all the training I did for that race, the emotion that I felt that day, like, so the first part of the race that you do is the ocean swim. I literally felt like I couldn't breathe because I was so overcome with, oh my God, I'm literally following his footsteps. But I had so many people by my side. I had joined a triathlon training group. Some of the guys that are part of the group, they, they stayed with me during the race. They didn't leave my side. So it was just amazing. It was amazing to complete that same race that he did right before he went to work and never came home to us. Carrie, I'm gripping the sides of my chair right now listening to your story. <laughs> I'm so grateful for this community. Episode five, if you listen to that, is Angie Gensler. And she actually put Carrie and I together. And I could not have asked her to put me with someone better, Carrie. You have an incredible story. And I know that your voice today is going to impact so many people in a positive way. There's so many people that I've connected with in the MS community that I'm so grateful for because they have given me the inspiration that I needed to move forward because it is a scary diagnosis. How many of us Google MS and what comes up is scary, but I've had people put into my life to show me that it's not as scary as it sounds and you can make it so much better than that. And Angie is definitely one of those people who have inspired me to continue what I'm doing. I'm here today to tell everyone else that maybe listens to this, that that MS diagnosis could be the way that you really change your life in a good way. It's not a negative thing. It could so be a positive thing. That's the way I look at my diagnosis. I don't share with a lot of people my diagnosis because I feel like there's a stigma around it. But when people do hear that I do have multiple sclerosis, they are shocked because I do a lot. I do more than people who don't have the diagnosis. I, I love the title of your podcast, Thriving Over Surviving, because it's so true. We really are thriving. We're not just living each day, you know? Are there days where I don't feel well or where my stress, anxiety, weather, a whole bunch of things that can flare up a symptom, does that happen? Absolutely. But, you know, to just keep in our minds all that we can do to keep ourselves strong and healthy and to 
not let this diagnosis take over our lives. I love the saying that I have MS, but MS does not have me. And it's so true. It is. And I love that you said that you were doing the triathlon to complete and not compete. Because we need to keep that in mind that we need to set realistic goals. And when we achieve them, it is a huge celebration. That is a great mantra to live by also. And who are you competing with? You're, you're trying to do this for yourself at the end of the day, right? And the right. knowledge that you can do it. And it's empowering for sure. Carrie, I, I can't express my gratitude for you for being here with us today. And I want you to, um, once again, please tell us how we can find you and how we can support your foundation. On social media, Instagram, my tag is FD132NY, so FD like fire department, 132NY for New York. My brother's foundation, we do have a Facebook page. It's the FDNY Firefighter Michael Kiefer Fund, Um, and that's where we post a lot of the things that we're up to, different events that we have coming up. There is also a link to donate for this van and anything else that we do in honor of uh, Michael and keeping his memory alive. Carrie, thank you so much. Thank you so, so much for sharing your story with us today. I, I just wish you the best in everything. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to Angie for putting us together because you're another one who inspires me with what you post and the people whose stories you share So I'm just as grateful for you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. If you would like to join our growing community of thrivers, there are a lot of ways to do so. Visit the website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. There you'll find links to all our social media, my blog, and lots more. See you next time when we chat it up with another autoimmune warrior on the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. Keep thriving.